0: beloved the second letter I'm writing to you in them I am trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through your Apostles first of all you must understand this that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Forever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water, through which the world was at that time deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, We wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving Father, we simply ask that you would teach us this morning. Whatever you have to say to us, prepare our hearts that we may receive it. In Jesus' name, amen during my time as an undergrad student at Michigan State University, I started participating with the Adventist student group on campus. And so each semester, we would hold a campus-wide evangelistic series. And we named it a number of different topics, and we'd cover um, some uh, Seventh-day Adventist fundamental doctrines, and we'd cover uh, prophecies from Revelation, et cetera. We had flyers and handbills made, and fortunately we we had a number of students in design, and so we were always able to get some edgy uh, uh, flyer or handbill. And our mission was to go around and pass them out to individuals on campus, to our friends, and try and recruit people to attend these meetings. You know, the handbills were done well, but sometimes I think the picture was a little aggressive, right? You had a lion that was majestic, but also ferocious, and like these big beasts. And, you know, to the uh, the eye that was unfamiliar, it could be, you know, received as quite jarring, or cool, or scary. (laughs) Anyway, so we had these handbills, we passed them out. My final year of undergrad, I took... Uh, a children's literature class. And before class started, I took these handbills and I covertly placed them on each table before anyone arrived. And class is about to begin, people start uh, milling in, and the professor is walking by the tables and he sees one of the handbills and he stops. There's this big lion on there. And he pauses for a moment and he stares at the handbill. And he says, Whose are these? I said, they're flyers for for a seminar that's coming up. You should come. And so he stopped and he thought for a minute. And uh, he said, you know, both my parents are ministers. They love this. I was like, oh, that's great. That's amazing. I didn't know that. And then he said with a smirk, but honestly, they've been saying Jesus is coming back forever. Why hasn't he? And then he chuckled to himself, he turned around and he walked away. It's a good question. It's a good question. And 2 Peter 3, which we're looking at today, provides an answer. The letter of 2 Peter is the second letter that Peter writes to the new believers, to the early church. And... The time that he writes it takes place when these new believers are under a different kind of attack, right? In First Peter, at that time, they were under attack of persecution just in, in Rome. And this time, false teachers have arisen. And while well, people labeling themselves as teachers and muddling the theology, they were heretical bringing false teachings, false prophecies, everything contrary to the teachings of the apostles. And so and they, they practiced immoral living, so they would teach something contrary and then the way that they lived was different than what the new believers had been previously called to. And the scriptures reminds us that by their fruits we shall know them So there were false prophets giving faulty prophecies. They were denying the return of Jesus' coming. They were scoffing or mocking, right? Opposing it, laughing at it. And so Peter hears this, and he writes this second letter to the new believers, to the early church, to reinforce the Christian beliefs and to combat the teachers and their false teachings. And so Peter... Uh, attacks this false theology by calling all of these new believers to remember, remember. And from the text of emphasis, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 says this, of uh, Second Peter. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. In them, I'm trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember... The words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through your apostles. So he says the second letter is written as a reminder, even the first letter as well, but written as a reminder for the early Christians to remember what was spoken of by the holy prophets of old and the commandments of the Lord through the apostles. We had a number of prophecies in, in the scriptures in the Old Testament, Messianic prophecies, Isaiah 53, the Messiah to come. He would die for us, Isaiah 9, etc. even from Genesis, Genesis 3.15. Remember. But if you look at chapter 1 of 2 Peter, it gives us a little more detail uh, uh, about what Peter is speaking about in those two verses. Uh, first Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says this. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths. Remember, we're talking to people who are uh, hereticals, who are bringing in false teachings. So he says, we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's like we've seen it. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's like, remember the apostles' teaching which which you received from the Lord, right? And we are eyewitnesses. This is what we're telling you. Verse 19, So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So he says, Look, prophecy is not something private. Prophecy is given of God. So that means he's telling the, the, these false teachers are saying they have secret interpretations, right? They have all of this new light. And he's like, No, 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 no. Remember what we told you, remember what you've been taught. But here's another question Why did the early Christians need a letter? to remind them in the first place, Why did they need a letter to remind them? Because they were beginning to forget, right? They were getting confused, false theories were making them question everything they'd learned previously, they were forgetting the teachings of the apostles, they've forgotten the prophecies of the scriptures about the Messiah, and you know, often in life, we are bombarded from every side with all kinds of things, right? If you're in New York City, there's shows here, there's promotions here, there's, product, there's so many things to bombard you, to distract you, to confuse you, right? It's, Peter is saying, look, in the midst of everything going on right now, remember. Remember what has been said. I remember in uh, 2017, before I went to study at um, Andrew's Theological Seminary, I took a little vacation to to Europe. And so prior to going, I was gonna go to France, and then Spain, and then Italy. And prior to going to France, I, I studied a little French in high school, and I was like, you know, let me brush up on my French, make sure when I land, you know, I can converse and understand the natives, right? And so I'm using Pimsleur approach Anyone, anyway. Kinsler approach, I had these CDs and so I'd listen to them when I'm driving in the car. And so by the time it was time for me to go on my trip, I felt pretty good. I was like, okay, I can have a conversation, you know, with a taxi driver, order some food, etc. So we land in Paris, we call a cab, and I'm doing great. I'm like, yeah, we wanna go here. And uh, I'm understanding, everything's good. So for the first three to five days, my French that I'd practice is coming, is coming uh, in handy. So then we moved to the next country, Spain. And uh, obviously, uh, people speak French there, but they're speaking Spanish, right? And so in the mix of the two, and then uh, we went to Spain, everyone's speaking Spanish, we go back to, uh, to, to France, and I realize that I started mixing up everything. <laughs> All the French that I'd learned and stored in there started not sounding like French, and I started forgetting stuff. Started getting mixed up with the two languages. And I perceived that this is kind of what happened to the new believers in the early church. They had heard one thing, they had been rooted and grounded in the apostles' teaching, right? And then these new false teachers come in and they put a little theory here and put a little theory there. And before you know it, it's all mixed up. And they're confused. So Peter's writing this letter and he's like, look, remember, look at verse three. First of all, you must understand, you must understand this, that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since your ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5. They deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water, through which the world of that time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. Peter says, let me remind you that scoffers will come. We've already told you this before. I'm reminding you. Scoffers will come and make fun of the second coming, make fun of Jesus coming again. And so to combat this, he says, remember what we said. Remember this particular point, that the world was created by use of water and the word of God. It perished by the use of water and at the command of God. By the same word, the heavens and the earth are stored up for eternal fire, being kept until the appropriate time. Look, what God says will come to pass is the point that he's making. Remember, what God says will come to pass. So even though they're scoffing, even though they're making a mockery, of Jesus coming again. If God has said it, it will happen. Remember, remember. You remember the story of Noah's Ark in Genesis and God had called Noah and, and, uh, to, to build this massive structure because there was going to be a flood, right? Now, prior to that, there had been no flood. In fact, there had been no rain the way that the ground was watered was that dew would come up from the ground and water the earth. So God tells Noah, I'm gonna flood the planet, make an ark. So Noah begins to build the ark. Scripture says that he's preaching and calling people for about 120 years, right? And I can imagine, people are like, rain? What are you talking about, Noah? Laughing, scoffing. What are you building, Noah? Been a couple years. What do you need all that wood for? He keeps building, keeps building. And so the time comes and God brings all of the animals into the ark. Two by two and sevens and then God shuts the door. And then the rain doesn't start. Mm-mm. Then, seven days we wait. So you can imagine, anyone who didn't get on the ark, they're like, all right, where's the rain, Noah? Where's the rain? They go about their lives, and then on the seventh day, it starts raining. What God says will come to pass and then think about it if it didn't if God's word did not come to pass how could you have faith how could you have faith in it what are the implications of God's word not coming to pass all of us should get up and walk out if God's word is not dependable If God's word is not sturdy, if it's not trustworthy, our faith is in vain. There's nothing left to stand on if human beings are unstable and God is also unstable. What God says will come to pass. It's interesting sometimes that uh, Christians we or believers, we, we have an easier time believing that God can forgive sins, but he may not be coming again. That one seems a little hazy. Or God can do this for my finances, or God can do this for my family, but him coming again, man, uh, that one's a little, a little shaky. But what God says will come to pass. Look at verse 8. Turn my page here. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. So my college professor that I told you about, he had smirked, he had chuckled about the returning of Jesus. And according to 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it tells us why there's a delay. It tells us why there's a delay. The delay is really because of mercy. That's the delay. The delay is because of God's mercy. That's why he's late. God is never late, but his mercy, it's not time. I'm gonna wait. It's delayed because the experience of repentance is part of the process of how one begins to experience the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ what does that mean repentance repentance is not something one can force or one can initiate of their own doing acts chapter 11 verse 18 says god grants repentance what is repentance? If I could put it in my own words for you, the, it's the experience of being sorry for selfishness and turning toward other-centeredness or love. This is a work of God. It's something that God grants to people, more love in your heart, right? It's a gift. And so God works on humanity, through humanity, through the power of his spirit to lead each one of us to a revelation of ourselves and a revelation of himself. And thus, repentance. Jesus hasn't come yet because God is still working. He's still working. Working is not done. God is still working. Salvation is a work of God. We sometimes use uh, uh, language uh, as church and ministry, we saved this soul, or we saved it. You didn't save any souls. God is working. God saves souls. God leads people to repentance. The entire work of salvation is God led, God initiated. I'm just here, I just go. Jesus said, my father works and I work. People don't come to repentance on their own, they come to repentance because of God. They come to a deeper revelation of who God is, of love because of God himself. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he asked, uh, he asked them, who do men say that I am? And they said, oh, they say that, you know, you're, you're uh, Elijah, you're this, you're the prophet, you're this. And then he says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter turns to him and he said, you're the son of God the Messiah. And he says, no one has revealed this to you except my Father in heaven. God is working. God is still working. God's delay is not because he isn't coming, but because he is coming and he's doing an extensive work in the process. And once he does come, that's the conclusion of the story of the earth as as we know it, but then God recreates a new heaven and a new earth. And so when this gospel of the kingdom has been preached to the ends of the earth, says Matthew 24, then shall the end come. God has come. What is this gospel of the kingdom? God has come to restore the broken relationships between himself and humanity, and humanity amongst each other. And he did this by an act of love through the death on the cross. He exemplified what that looks like, to live your life on behalf of others, even to death. To internalize or to receive this truth, God grants repentance. He opens our eyes, a revelation of oneself that leads to a God-initiated turn towards other-centeredness or love. Jesus hasn't come yet because God is still working. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10 says this, or excuse me, 11. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance... No, nope, the wind's not helping me today. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. I like how it says that righteousness is at home. What are the implications for daily living? Right? Now, when we read that passage, I don't know if anyone got disturbed or bothered or scared. You know, it talks about fire and this is, the heavens will be dissolved, et cetera, et cetera. Right? If you got disturbed after reading that, it may be because you think you play a larger role in your salvation than you really do. You shouldn't be scared. You shouldn't be worried. Remember, salvation is a work of God, not you. Change in your daily living is a work of God, not of you, not of sheer willpower. Daily righteous living is a constant surrender to God who helps you live that out. Taming your anger, overcoming patience, just being kind. You know, some people are grumpy, they just walk around grumpy all day, every day. You need victory. Letting go of pride, learning to be considerate of others. Some of us, we're just selfish. Don't think of anybody but ourselves. God can help you. Self-control, I need help with that one. God can help me. This is all a continuous work of God on his people. And the scripture says in Philippians chapter one verse six, He who began a good work in you will complete it, will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we know, according to what Peter has described here, what God says will come to pass. What God says will come to pass. I'd like to think that The seven-day wait of Noah and his family made him relieved when the rain finally came. He'd been preaching to a people that a flood was coming, rain was coming. Relieved not because of what was to happen, not because there was destruction with the flood, but relief because what God had promised was manifest. And he believed. We wait and worship God before a promise is fulfilled, before his word is fulfilled, trusting and knowing that it will come to pass. This brings a type of relief. I'll tell you a story. I, was, uh, I live in Astoria, and sometimes the end train uh, at the last stop um, it kind of confuses you. There's a sign that, set, that points and says, this is the next train. But it's happened to me where the pointing that says the next train deceives us and the, the actual next train is the one on the other side of the track and so you end up getting left if you don't get on the other one. <laughs> and so that happened to me before. And then it happened again. Well, then the next time I got wise. And I said, next train leaving. But it looked like the other one on the, side of the, on the other side of the track was ready to go. I said, you know what, I'm just going to stand in the doors <laughs> and make sure that even though it says that train is leaving, I'm, I'm going to be right here. And I'm going to make a jet for it in case it is right and it's that train. Well, lo and behold, I get in, doors close, we leave. And the faces of everyone on the platform. <gasps> like, should have gone on. No, <laughs> <I'm> joking, joking. <laughs> New York, you know, I can't depend on the MTA. All right. Um, anyway, saying that to say. <laughs> Why was I telling you that story? Saying that to say. Saying <laughs> that to say. Trust before it comes. Right? Trust before it comes. Trusting that God's going to do what He said He would do is a lesson of a lifetime. That is the journey of faith. That is the believer's lesson every single day. What has God said, and do I believe it? And do I live? like I believe it. He says some things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I will give you a new heart of flesh and replace the stony heart. He says, fear not, for I am with you. He says, I will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me because they trust in me. If you're looking for peace, Then he says, come, come to me, all you who are weary, who are tired, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you living like that? He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Then the angels talking to the disciples, they said, look this same Jesus will come in the same way he has left. God will do what he says he will do. You may have to wait, but you can be certain it will happen. So we work, we live the gospel of the kingdom while we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Peter reminded the early Christians that, look, What God said, what God says is going to come to pass. Believe me, I've seen it with my own eyes. He said he would go to the cross and die and then resurrect, and then I saw it. What he says will come to pass. Don't be confused. Remember what has been said. Don't be swayed by the false prophets and these false teachings. Remember. Remember the teachings, remember, remember that God will do what he says he will do. I'd like to think that many of us have gotten tired of the wait. But scripture encourages us. Don't grow faint, don't grow weary. God is still working. God is still working. There's more work to be done. For in due season, you shall reap, or He will reap, the harvest of that which He has planted. And what God says will come to pass. Do you believe that? I hope so. And, And if you haven't seen it before, test God. Test God. Do you believe God's word is sturdy enough to stand on? I hope so. I hope so. I'll pray that God will make this our experience. God bless you.